Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast, the only podcast that now has two presenters on it. <laughs> uh, yes. yes. How was it? Uh, it, was, it was horrendous, if I'm completely honest. Speaking to myself for an hour and a half is difficult enough. Listening to myself for nearly three hours to edit the podcast back down is even worse. Um, so I can only imagine how terrible it must have been for everybody listening uh, last week. But yeah, we got it done. We got it out of the way. It's done. We shall no longer speak of that episode anymore. <laughs> And at least now that I'm back, come back on a positive note. Well, know, pretty decent Grand Prix for once. There's some yeah. Good think of good things to say. Whereas, you know, I think had I been here last week, I might have been struggling to think <laughs> of good things to say. But <laughs> this week, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to go go massively overboard in the way that I have seen some people saying it is, you know, calling it some of the greatest classic and all this kind of thing. But it was, it was a good race. It was a Good Grand Prix. It's nice to be nice, I think is the phrase I'd... I'm happy nice to be able that to it report. happened on our home turf as well. Yes. Silverstone. I don't like the new Silverstone, mainly just because I went to the old Silverstone when it was, like, you know, before they made the changes. So, you know, a little bit of the old man glasses on there, like, well, back in my day, they started at Cops, you know. But, <laughs> um, but so I did prefer it before the changes, but it's still a good circuit. It's still a great racetrack, isn't it? You know, like, say what you like about Silverstone, say what you like about the people running it, but it's a good racetrack. Yeah, yeah, it, um, uh, it goes to show you that uh, good races are, are are worth their weight in terms of the action that they provide. Uh, whether or not the people organising them can necessarily afford the prices that certain people would like to charge for the races. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Good racetracks are good racetracks. So yep. that was good. Um, <clears throat> so, well, let's let's get on with re- reviewing uh, the British Grand Prix. Um, interesting from the very off, realistically. Um, well, actually, interesting before it even started, since uh, we lost poor old Fred Nazar on the uh, formation yeah. laps, or not even the formation laps, the pre-installation laps. I yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was before he got halfway around the circuit from leaving the garage. Didn't even make the grid, did he? So poor Sauber, you know, uh, poor sponsors and all that, and not even getting their car out there at all. But yeah, that's that's Formula One. I remember Yarno truly doing that in a Minardi years ago. I think I don't think he, I don't think he, I think he actually crashed it on the way to the grid, <laughs> rather than uh, rather than a technical fault. But. Yeah. Did uh, David Coulthard do the same thing once? He crashed it on the on the way around to the grid. Was it Monza or uh, maybe Imola? No, Monza, I think it was. I'm not sure. And he, he crashed it on the way to the grid. Um, the race started and then stopped within a couple of lags, was red flagged. Um, and so he got to be able to take pole position again because they'd repaired his car by the time they got everything set up. So he, I think he's the only driver that's failed to start a race but still started in pole. <laughs> very good <laughs> and DC you'll be pleased with that one then <laughs> um, yeah um, qualifying obviously was uh, Lewis on pole Nico just missing out in second looked like Nico had the edge of him but Lewis pulled out of the bag when it mattered so I guess you have to say fair play from that as we've covered a few times you know pole position seems to be even more important at the moment than ever 
uh, and he and he uh, he got the job done in qualifying the way Lewis has done all season. I think that was that is something like his ninth pole this season, and and I think he's beaten Vettel. So his only people that he's got ahead of him in the pole position records are Senna and, and Schumacher. So the man knows how to make one lap fast. Put it that way, you know. Uh, he's, I got, did... he's got many good things, obviously, Lewis. But that's 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 to me has been the one thing in his career that I think he's he's had the edge more than than others is his ability to nail qualifying. Yeah, I was surprised that didn't see the Nick who didn't do quite as well in qualifying, given his relative pace throughout the most of the the rest of the weekend. He was reporting problems with one of his front tires um, as it was coming into the pit, so maybe he just didn't quite have the car uh, underneath him or uh, get the fastest time at the car at the most optimum times you know these things kind of happen sometimes you can't always legislate for you know the bit of time at your driving at the time as the race would go on to show really um it was mad because i was watching it and i was like oh, he was top of the first session top of the second session i was thinking great nico's going to get this and uh and then obviously lewis nailed him in the final final session fair enough and not <laughs> i suppose in the end it didn't really matter given the way the form the way the race started did it no well let's let's talk about that um bad starts from the Sadies or just amazing starts from the williams i have no idea <laughs> i wish i knew that's the mystery it was amazing how they could go from what they were in the last few weeks which i mean going into this weekend there was there was people saying oh maybe the Williamses are going to be beside the red bulls you know fighting Fighting a wee bit down, further down than they have been, but the complete opposite for the start of the Grand Prix. Launched those cars off the lines. It was uh, quite spectacular. I haven't really seen starting like that since the old, no. um, the old Benetton launch system, really, have we? Where something uh, just rocketed by the uh, uh, people. That's what it did. Ground. It honestly looked like you know something. Something <laughs> they had something in the cars that everybody else didn't. It was that much of a you know a difference. Which, well, Ma- Massa ended up being nearly a car length ahead of Lewis by the time he got to the, the corner. And Lewis it's was busily fighting Bottas uh, at the same point. Just, yeah. Uh, it, and it's funny, really, isn't it? that um, When they took off, I, I thought, oh, they've gotten away okay. And then just suddenly the Williams just went, yum. It was like, oh, maybe they didn't. But they didn't, they been you know, it's not like they, they lost ground to the teams behind them the, the cars behind them after that, necessarily. Um, so you can see that I think the Mercedes had an average start and then the Williams were just far and away, just managed to be able to dump the clutch and go. It'll be interesting now to see if they repeat it in uh, Hungary. Because um, if, if they do, if, if there's that much of a difference between them and everybody else again, then clearly they've found... You know, if it's not just a one-off, then they must have found something that's... Yes, that the other teams haven't, and that 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 will just spice things up a little bit, you know, it'll give us a little bit added edge, you know. Even if Hamilton and Rosberg are able to put it on the front row, at least if they've got those guys in behind, you can think, well, they might they might get there. But uh, yeah, it's one one off start. Maybe they just had a they, they, I don't know. Maybe like you say, maybe Mercedes underperformed on their starts a little bit. I don't know. But if 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 the same happens again, then it'll be time to set up and go. Okay, what are these guys doing? You know. Let's let's get the pen and paper out and figure out what these guys are doing that we are not. Yeah, and it's interesting because you can, there's there's no aids to that in the car that you can develop. It, it's got to be about 
you know, engine maps and <clears throat> and dealing with it that way. So it's interesting that they found if if they have found something that Mercedes have yet to so, tap into. So yeah, we ended up with uh, Bottas and Lewis fighting it out. Massa got well clear, and Bottas and Lewis were fighting out, and Lewis managed to get by, but. After, well, the safety car came out, and I think Bottas got him. He got him after the safety car, didn't he? So we ended up with well, two the problem two. was he ended up with two Williams is ahead of the two Mercedes. Yeah, he, he the the problem came, wasn't it, is that uh, he overcooked it on the restart trying to get past Massa. Oh yeah, uh, yes, of course. Yeah. Then was so poorly placed that the, the Bottas, Bottas was just drive by. He nearly lost lost out to uh, Nico as well. I think that's um, right. I thought Nico was going to do him because he was right up his gearbox coming down the straight. He was properly. Properly close, but obviously same engine, same same car. He wasn't able to. And I think make it stick. I think there was probably a little bit of hesitation from Nico about how how close do I want to call this overtake? Do I want to risk crashing into him or not? And then it's at the point now for for them that you know if one crashes into the other, certainly if Nico, especially if Nico goes into Lewis. The the negative PR and 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 shit that he's going to have to deal with is going to be worse than the points lost. You know, the points lost. Yeah, he'd lose ten, fifteen, twenty points, whatever. But but the the mental effect that it clearly had on him after Belgium last year, after that incident, his t- his championship nosedived after that. So all the stuff that he would have to deal with, because causing an incident like that, would almost be worse than losing some points. Yeah, I think that's this. It's probably true, and I, I think at this stage, um, the worst thing that you could do is essentially do what Nico did to himself last season, which was put himself behind the eight ball in terms of his relationship with the team, because clearly he was the person that suffered after Spa. Um, you know, rightly or wrongly, however you want to view the incident that, that caused it, you know, he ended up with all of the the sort of blame really for for what happened and I, I can imagine that now that he's so close or was so close he doesn't want to end up in a situation where you know the rest of his season is compromised because he did something that the team thought was a a bad decision a bad choice yeah absolutely I agree with that <laughs> so he didn't he didn't make the move and he uh, ended up well Lewis was it with the two Williamses and with the two Mercedes, and then it was all about was Bottas going to pass Massa, wasn't it? You know, more so than what the Mercs were up to behind. And I, I didn't get that bit either. Um, what did you think? What did uh, you think was the uh, right call in that situation? If you're sitting on the, you know, on the pit wall, what are you doing? I think you have to just say make it clean. If he thinks he's faster and can get past, then he has a he should be able to try and get past. If he can't get past because Massa can defend, then that's that's one thing but if if he is then you've got to let him do it otherwise he's just going to waste his tyres keeping up with his teammate um, but not being able to pass and uh, Williams was so flaky about it after the race saying oh no we well we didn't really tell them not to race and was just like no we all heard you <laughs> <laughs> you definitely did say you, that, you know that they're not racing and then when you did say it was three laps too late and Bottas was already, you know, his tyres had already suffered from being stuck behind Massa and not being able to overtake. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know. I think if I was Valtteri in that situation, I might have just overtook and just gone, 
this is stupid, you know. Um, well, then they did say it, they did eventually say make it clean, didn't they? Well, they did, but then you don't need to say that, do you? He's not going to crash into to Massa or do something that's marginal. He's going to make the move, and and that's it. And I think, you know, you're talking about a great young driver and a massively experienced veteran of Formula One. They're not going to do stupid things. You know, Massa gets caught up in stuff sometimes, stupidly, but they're very rarely because he's done something stupid. Um, so I think you've just got to trust the drivers to, to get on and do it in that way, which is the other reason why I hate what Mercedes do. They're, you know, the staged the staged strategy that, that never allows actual on-track action to, to take place because surely you should be able to trust your guys to do this. You know, they should be able to trust whoever's in front not to slice into their teammate and they should trust the person behind not to do something that's going to put both of the cars in danger. And if they do, then you've got to say, well, then this driver isn't good enough for us. You know, if he if he can't control himself on track and keeps on taking out his teammate, um, then this driver is not good enough to be driving our world championship winning car. End of. True, absolutely. So, <laughs> speaking about people who should never be trusted with a world title winning car, Pastor Maldonado. No, that's <laughs> a little unfair of him this uh, this race, despite taking out his teammate. It was Maldonado took well, out. Well, oh, I mean, yeah, we could we normally cover the um, the back markers at the end. But I think you've got to do it first. It's the first corner, it's... yeah. And obviously, it brought out the safety car, which was sparked the first sort of quarter of the race. Um, yeah, what a mad incident that was, though, because you had the two, the two fucking, oh, sorry, bad language. There. So uh, you had the two uh, Lotuses and the two McLarens both just, you know, <laughs> what would they, what would you call it? Just, just madness at the first corner. Bearing across track into <laughs> one another is so bizarre. Love um, taps, as I think Brando likes to call it, doesn't he? Oh, I think they're a but, bit more than love taps. Look, love taps. Struggle snuggles, possibly, was the. Uh... <laughs> Such a strange idiot. So he ended up with poor Jensen in the barrier. Uh, the two Lotuses both out, and uh, yeah, and then the safety car out. Mad. Yeah, Alonso limping back to the pits for a new nose. Really, it was. Uh, it was probably just as well there was a safety car because uh, he'd have been even farther behind uh, without it. Um, well, that's true. Yeah, and but... it was such a strange one because it wasn't one of those normal ones where everybody closes up. And then there's some inevitable tapping. Somebody spins, and that's that. They it was all down to people trying not to hit somebody else, and then they hit somebody else completely. So Grosjean, said, Grosjean I mean, tried to tried to miss Daniel Rick, which sent him across. That caused Maldonado to swerve and hit Grosjean. Spinning because that was heading towards Alonso. Alonso then tried to get out of the way and then spun his car into Jensen. So it's <laughs> it's all down to people doing things to try and avoid other accidents. This caused more accidents than if, if Grosjean had just clattered into uh, Ricardo in the first place. Fun though. <laughs> well, yes, it's always. It's it gave always... us a li- it gave us a little bit of fun as well. The restart with uh, you know Lewis and, and Bottas and Nico. So and then, uh, well, what happened next? <laughs> well, the, the lack of Williams driving the race and. Um, that's right, of course. Yeah, Lewis got the the Mercedes uh, took the plunge and did the undercut, didn't they, with Lewis? And I was just, uh, you know, I, I can't believe that there's people in Williams who can't put together the same strategy, you know, that um, 
Mercedes would use. I, I can't see how they sat there and just went, no, we'll, um, we'll target is this and we will not deviate from that, even though we're now out front and that actually changes completely what we're, you know, we're doing with the tyres. I don't understand why they didn't. The thing is, is they had pace as well. Like they weren't. It wasn't like they were fending off Lewis and Nico with you know every everything that they had. You know, there was they were just just managing the gap. You know, there was nothing. Well, if if you were Williams, would you not have pitted Massa? Um, hope that both of the Mercedes stayed out behind Bottas, and then have Bottas try and back up. Lewis into Nico and all those bits mm-hmm. and pieces to try and slow the pace so that you knew that Massa comes out ahead. Yep. And Bottas, then you've got a whole other... And then Bottas can ahead. pit the next lap straight away. He's not... You know, yeah, he loses something to, to Massa, but at least A, he's not stuck right up his gearbox. Um, and B, he's still in ahead of the Mercedes. Yep, and, and, what, and at worst, what happens is that Massa comes in and then Hamilton comes in. At least Bottas still comes out in front of Rosberg then. Um... Uh, and you know is at least third instead of what they're doing which was um, end up being third and fifth yeah it was it was frustrating I agree with you that's exactly what I would have done the second you know that they'd, that the window was open to make the strategy the second it was like okay we can pit now and you know the tyres will blast and stuff I would have went for it I'd have, like you say you drive the strategy and, and even if Massa it, comes in and Hamilton comes in at the same time, Massa's got a couple of seconds at least advantage. So in theory, he should come out in front. You know, yeah. it's exactly what Vettel and did for Red Bull all these years, and and Hamilton does when he's in front. You know, the first person that pits generally is going to stay in front. And even if the guy that's in second stays out a couple of laps later, puts on some fresher tires. They've got fresher tires towards the end by a couple of laps, but they're they're not going to get past in this day and age in Formula One. The track no. position is king, and, and so you, so you have lost... to keep it. You had to keep the track position, and what Williams did there was went, we'll stay out longer. You guys get the fresher rubber, put in some quick laps, and have track position. And that was that was completely the wrong strategy. And fair enough, they can go on. Oh yeah, but we have targets to just have a double points finish and stuff like that, or you know, podium finish. But like, I'm agreeing with you. If you're in front and you've and and you're not in front because of something crazy. You're in front and you're staying in front genuinely on decent pace. Like The Mercedes are a quicker race car, yes, but they were not... They were they passing were, they, the they were, Yeah, they were staying in front on merit. You know, They stayed like 20 laps or whatever it was in front without even being challenged. You know, They weren't even... There was no point where the Mercedes you know, were up the inside and couldn't quite make it stick or anything like that. They were just, they were just existing behind them at a similar pace. So if Williams had came into the pits first, like I say, even if Hamilton had pitted the exact same lap, 99%, the worst they would have been off, without, if it was a clean, quick stop, they'd have maintained a one or two second gap to Lewis. That, that, I'm convinced that's what would have happened. And then they would have had the whole stint ahead of them to take it from there. But instead, they just let them by, basically, and then that was it. They were never going to be able to pass them again. They'd given up the track position. Track position... Is king at the moment in Formula One. It's the same when Lewis is on pole to Nico. He, Nico can't get by, and when Nico's on pole to Lewis, Lewis couldn't get by. And they've got the best car. They've both got the same car. They're not going to be able to overtake the one ahead. Simple as that. So, yeah, a bit annoying from Williams because it kind of just did look like you know, oh, 
the 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 customer team almost bowing down to the works team. I know it wasn't literally like that, but okay. It's it's difficult not to be frustrated. I'm trying to be positive because it was a good, exciting race, but yeah, it, it just feels like it's, it's. I think it's because it's not the first time Williams have kind of looked like that. Yeah, they've, they did. They've they been did too, the same in Austria. Too happy to year. settle. Too happy to settle rather than take it on. And it's probably because they had all those barren years that it's they they still feel like third and fourth or fourth and fifth is great results for them. But there's going to become a time when you have to say no. You just need to be going for it now. And it's like, do you think like, would would the ninety seven, ninety eight Williams have done that? Or would the ninety, ninety two, or whatever year it was that they were dominant in the early nineties done that? No, they would have, they would have went for it. Well, I think that's um, that's exactly that's exactly the point, isn't it? Is that the reason why you know McLaren have ended up at the back of the grid and stuff is because. They, gone they for went it. for it. Yeah. They tried to drive the change, and it, it surprises me. Over, that, you know? Yeah, exactly. It surprises me that a team of Williams heritage is satisfied with losing out that badly. And it seemed like they kind of were. They were a little bit downhearted, but it was just like they just went, "Well, you know, this was this, and this was this," and it was just kind of like. I'd really like to have Rod Smedley have to have Rod Smedley come out and just go, uh, "Sorry, everybody, we we ballsed it up. Um, we should have we we should have pitted before the Mercedes. Um, we didn't, um, you know, we didn't react well, and um, you know, we we put ourselves behind them on track, and then that that was that." Uh, I mean, in the end, I know there was obviously extenuating circumstances with the weather, and we'll get to that. But in the end, Bottas finished a minute behind Lewis. Yeah, well, which is, yeah. Which says, I mean, and like I said, I know there was rain and whatever, and tyre choices played a huge part in screwing up the times, but that's still a huge amount of time in anybody's book for a, for a car that was ahead of them for the whole first stint, you know? But yeah, um... Well, I was just going to quickly say, do you think if Red Bull and Ferrari had the pace that the Williams had this weekend, they'd have allowed, they'd have just sat down and, you know, and and bent over and took it, which is what the Williams basically <laughs> did. Red Bull, definitely. They were the kings of driving the strategy when they were, you know, well, further up the crib. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And they still do that now. Um, they, yeah, you they, look at how they have courage in their convictions. Yeah, you know. they they raced Vettel um, and Kvyat for um, Red Bull. You know, um, they were making those kind of decisions, but for fifth and sixth at the time, you know. And at the end of the day, those decisions for you know at, at that point put them, you know, it put Vettel in into finishing third. You know, rather because he was there, ready to make the the calls and not sit and react. Um, uh, so as good as the Grand Prix was, there were still things that, that were a bit, bit irritating, but less so to do with... Well, it wasn't at least... At least it, it was, wasn't, it wasn't a regulation racing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't like a regulation that. thing that annoyed me about this Grand Prix. It was an individual team's decision-making that annoyed me. Not, not, not moaning about the way the sport's been run, which is what we normally moan about. But no, there was just a few things that was like, oh, why are you doing that? I suppose that's the... That is that's the that's the good thing to be getting getting moaned at like or moaning about you know, like at least that way at least there's something going on in the race to get 
wound up about, you know. Whereas before, some of the races, there was just nothing to get interested in. So at least it was interesting, if a bit irritating. But yeah, like you say, Vettel managed to... Uh, well, that, that blew it for the Williamses. And then when the rain came, uh, Sebastian was in the perfect position to take advantage and, and dump them down a couple of other positions. It was, uh, similar to Lewis, just uh, just got the, got it right at the right time, didn't he? But the, the rain came down and... Uh, I think Brundle said it on commentary, lap 43 it was, just the, the sweet the sweet spot. Anybody who pitted on that lap benefited. Anybody who didn't, lost out, and that's Formula 1, isn't it? Well, it, in that kind of variable condition, you know, it, it is a, a crapshoot. You know, you're, sometimes you're going to put on... You know, if we'd had that second rain shower uh, earlier, then Kimi, Alonso, uh, and the Marushes would have looked like the biggest geniuses in the world diving in and putting on inters whilst everybody thought that they'd wait and see how it went with the slicks. Do you know what I mean? And they all ended up... You know, can you imagine if, you know, Borussia had ended up in fourth or fifth place or something ridiculous because, you know, they they pitted and, and put on the, the inters. Well, it would have been amazing, eh? It would have been a brilliant story. Um, everybody and, loves a good story like that. <laughs> and and that's, that's all it takes, isn't it? It is... Um, some people gambled and they lost. Some people gambled and they won. And some people just did something because they felt they didn't have another choice. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I listening to Lewis's radio message, he didn't seem calm leading up to that oh. stop. I think he was generally like, I'm watching the Delta on my, <laughs> you know, on my steering wheel to my teammate disappear at a couple of seconds a lap. And I'm not finding this grip that he is. You know, either the tyres are shot or I'm, you know, whatever I, I i can't find the find the grip um there's he's gonna pass me in half a lap anyway so i might as well come in strap him on and see how the weather goes because not is is, is not an option um and as it turned out he came out the pits and the rain got heavier because the rain yeah. wasn't heavy when he went in it wasn't as heavy no, when he uh, went yeah. into the pits wasn't it he came round to the track to find that it had absolutely started to hammer down, um, and yeah, at that point, right he won the race. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as he, as soon as he had that one lap that Nico had to do extra was enough to win him the race, and and that's the that's the tiniest fine margin. You know, if he'd stayed out that extra lap, if he hadn't come in and stayed at one extra lap, Nico would have passed him on that lap. Nico would have came in for the inters first, and Nico would have won the race. Lewis made the call, and 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 by all accounts, he made the call more than anything. He said, "I've got no grip. I'm coming in." And fair play, he got he got the right he got it right. And the rain came down, and yeah, obviously a bit of fortune favours it, but credit where it's due. He made the call, and they, and they got it right. So in the end, Lewis deserved to win the race. Um, but it was it was good, yeah. It was a, it was a good race. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not I, going as far as calling it great, but it was good. I enjoyed it. Do you know what it kind of reminded me of? It it reminded me of the early, uh, the early two thousand races where that kind of sort of random race had a tendency to pop up a bit more often. Mm-hmm. In that there, always, there there would seem to be a time when the race was going one way, and then you know, or the races were going one way, and then suddenly you'd watch one race, and then everything would be completely the wrong way around, and you go, well, this doesn't make any sense. This is not, you know. I've just watched the Ferraris win the last three races. How the hell is the McLaren suddenly out in front and and you know leading by thirty seconds after three laps or something ridiculous? And 
that kind of seismic change per race. Um, you know, you, you don't want complete random, but what you do want to see is that there are uh, challenges for teams, you know, each race. And I think that's what people enjoyed about this one was that, um, you know. Yeah, there was, yeah, I agree with that completely. We ended up with the same result, but it was achieved in a completely different manner. They had uh, to work for it, whereas yeah. the drivers had to work because they were constantly worried about what tyres should be on. Is it rain? Is it not rain? The strategies had to work because it was like, oh, we don't know what's going on. It felt like everybody involved any position that you achieved, like Lewis earned his position, his strategy team earned him that position, you know, Vettel and Ferrari earned that position, Massa and Bottas deserved what they got for their poor calls. Everybody got what they deserved. Lewis and got, got what he deserved and so on and so forth. Whereas before, every race is kind of feel like everybody just going on, going through the motions almost and not, yeah, they're winning, but they've not had to do anything. You know, it's like, it's, it feels like in some of the races so far this season, you know, you could just turn the pit wall off halfway through, go for a quick nap, come back with 10 laps to go, double check everything's still running, <laughs> and that's it, you know? Like, whereas there was no... That's what F1 should be. The, the drivers should never have a minute's peace, and the strategy team should never have a minute's peace. It should always be like anything can happen at any minute. And it wasn't like... It, isn't, it hasn't been like that, because reliability is bulletproof. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast, the home of F1 banter. I, I, I talked a little bit about Formula E in the last podcast, and I think that's why people have enjoyed Formula E because every race has been a challenge for every team. Mm-hmm. Um, and- I think I think we've hit the, the nail on the head there. It hasn't been a challenge for teams this season. It hasn't been a challenge for Mercedes, and then to an extent, it hasn't been a challenge for teams behind them because. They're so far ahead of everybody else, but not too far behind Mercedes, so they can just coast to best of the rest. Can I? You've absolutely nailed the point now. Uh, so, what would have made this a great race? Just before it was good. What would have made it great is if when Nico had come in, he'd just been a bit closer to Lewis and could be able to challenge. If we'd had a scrap to the end in the wet between the two of them, that would have been. If nice. Nico had come out only a couple of seconds behind, that would have been great. But by the time. The weather had really kicked in. He came out and he was too far behind to do anything. He was like 10 seconds back. So for the last sort of 10 laps, it was like, oh, Nico can't catch him now. It's it's over. That last 10 laps, if Nico had gotten out just a couple of seconds behind, then it would have been a great race. That would have been it. And it would have fight to the line. But yeah. the, race, the race for me ended the second Lewis pitted and got out and Nico didn't. So there was 10 laps at the end of like, well, ten, at least 10 laps are pointless unless yeah. someone bins it. So... That would have watched, that would have stepped out from a good race to a great race, uh, but I still enjoyed it. Um, so let's let's just if we run through this in results order. So we'll say the two Mercedes first. Um, Vettel jumping the uh, Williams in the pits with the F- funny race for Vettel because he seemed to be going backwards at the start. But he did, <laughs> and then got lucky with the strategy and ended up in third. So you know that's F one, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's why you never give up, isn't it? That's why you never stop racing because you just never know. Um, both Williams fourth and fifth. Uh, Danny Kvyat, you know, he seems to have really taken the ball by the horns. Impressed, excuse yeah, excuse the pun <laughs> slightly on that one. Oh, yeah. Um, taking the literal red <laughs> car by the horns and taking it to Daniel Ricciardo. Don't know where Ricciardo's struggling or Kvyat's improving because he still, he's still a baby, isn't he? I wonder, it does it does make me wonder if maybe Ricciardo is getting more of the updates, hence the reason why his car is so un- 
more unreliable or not working as well because they expect Daniel to be able to deal with it better uh, mm-hmm. than Kvyat because he's younger. But whatever it is, um, you know, Kvyat is getting the 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 luck of the green at the moment, the the roll of the dice or whatever you, you want to say, and he's really making the most of it. He only finished um, peanuts, but peanuts behind Bottas, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and for the, uh, and I think he had a spin as well. So, you know, it could have been it could have been a very different uh, different race from had he not had the little spin. It, no, was, races... it wasn't caught on camera. That was it was something people noticed. Then um, Raikkonen had a, a spin on the pit straight that wasn't picked up by the cameras either. Ah, Random. Kimi, Kimi. We'll talk about him in a second in a couple of places down. But just before, but Kia, if you keep you, you know, these races are the ones that challenge you. Like I said, they're, they're going through the motions in races like Austria last week. But these wet ones and stuff, you know, you need your concentration for every second. And for just a, a he's still a relative, you know, what is he, 19, 20, maybe? I'm not sure exactly. But still, still a boy, you know. And to put in such a strong performance in, in, in this race on a track like Silverstone, which is, you know, a real traditional tough circuit to drive. Very impressed, yeah, definitely. Um, after him came uh, Nico Hulkenberg, who seems to be going through a bit of a um, bit of a purple patch for him at the moment. He's uh, generally finishing well ahead of his teammate um, since his Le Mans win. Um, this is uh, this is seventh for Nico, which is a, a good, very good result for the Force India team. That you know, we've talked about them a few times. Could be. Could be close to close to the hitting the wall if you believe certain reports. Not really getting much development, but good result. The thing is, I don't remember anything about his race. No, no, I think he was a benef- He was the middleman, if you if you see what I mean. He wasn't the yeah. first to put on the inters, and then but wasn't the wasn't one of the guys to magically put them on 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 lap forty three either. So I think he just ended up having a fairly good race all around. Um, just, just trugged along, did his thing, and, and brought the car home. What I've been surprised about, really, in um, in stuff is that I'd heard a lot of reports that this, you know, the the cheese grater nose on the um, on the Force India, as I like to think of it, um, or potato peeler, whatever you want to, however you want to think of it, was supposed to be, you know, there was supposed to be all these big upgrades. You know, Silverstone was the, B, you know, the the start of the B spec car. Um, and I, I swear I had lots of reports that they were doing very well, but I just I haven't seen it in any of the things. They seem to be exactly where they were before, which was around the Red Bulls and probably ahead of the Sauber's, you know. And and then they're either mixing it with the Lotuses if the Lotuses are. <laughs> yeah, that's a big error if they get past the first lap. I mean, how many first how many first lap incidents has Maldonado had this season? Well, far too many, unfortunately. <laughs> but but the Lotus, I think the Lotuses are ahead of the Force India in general. So um, yeah, I think I'm so. failing to see where this pace, big package is coming. That, yeah. I would agree with that. But yeah, they're still ticking along and getting seventh and ninth, and that for Force India is it, they're happy with that. It, we go back to Williams just trucking along and not really progressing. Williams are Williams F one team. They should be they should be ambitions ambitious. They should be going for the world championship. For Force India, I can kinda of understand how they're content at this stage, you know, in their life to just be, be ticking it along for now and, and, and kind of just seeing what happens. Yeah. Seventh for Force India is a better result than fourth for Williams is for me. You know what I mean? That's kinda of what I'm getting at. I think. Yeah, I can I, I can see that. I think I think fifth. If you, if you put them into context, would be the kind of yeah, is their pinnacle result, isn't it? In terms of 
where they can hope to get to if things. If, if they really finish seventh every week, that you, you know the teams ahead of them are going to be Mercedes, Ferrari, and Williams. Say, and they, those six cars will ninety nine percent of the time be ahead of them, and those are the three. No, three of the major powerhouses in the history of Formula One. Yeah. So then, if they if they're the only six cars that can beat them, that's kind of okay for Force India. So so whilst I agree with you, they don't seem to be going anywhere. It's still it's not it's not bad. They're not going backwards in the way that Sauber seem to have kind of gone backwards a little bit. Uh, given the start of the season, they they looked like they were going to be a bit more progressive this year, and it kind of hasn't transpired. So let's talk about your man, Kimi Rock. <laughs> My man, your man, everybody's man. Indeed, according to the GPDA survey, the everybody's favourite man. man. The people's champion, the Kimster. <laughs> the people's champion in his final year, by the looks of things. It's almost like he'd forgotten how to drive in the wet. <laughs> when was the last time it rained? He probably hasn't driven in the wet for about six years. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like ages since we've had a proper rain Grand Prix. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think his patience is wearing thin at Ferrari, yeah, with the the higher-ups. Love Kimi's personality. We'll forever love him, but maybe it is time to to move on. It was a, it was a good question posted online, actually. Um, if you were replacing Kimi at Ferrari, would you go with Valtteri Bottas or Daniel Ricciardo? Bottas. So that's what I said initially. I did think that. And then I was just thinking, I don't know. I just wonder if, I just wonder if Ricardo might be a better teammate than Bottas. I, I think if they didn't have Vettel and it, and you could, you didn't have somebody who was probably a fairly clear number one, I, I think I'd be with you and I would just go, yeah, Bottas. But I think if you're saying, who should I get to partner Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari, and I think could could be the better team player? So you think Bottas would 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 work poorer in the team I than think, Ricardo? I, I'm not, I think I disagree. I think I think Ricardo would work poorer in the team. Why is that? Okay, I don't think I don't think Ricardo would work necessarily poorer, but I think Ricardo would be more likely to. Uh, upset Vettel, if you get my... Not not through anything that Ricardo's done himself, I think. I get... I don't know, maybe... I, I could be completely wrong with this. I just get... I feel like Vettel would want Bottas as a teammate more than Ricardo. Maybe just because they had that year at Red Bull together and it was one of the worst years in Vettel's career. I'd just be kind of worried about... Not upsetting Vettel, but you know, just just rock rocking the boat almost. I don't know. Well, you see, I uh, I've never heard him say any that he's got a problem with uh, Ricardo. So I'm yeah, working true. on the basis that true. there is no enmity between them as uh, as. It's know, an interesting question. It's a good one. Teammates. And I was just thinking, if I wanted a stable team, I'd choose Ricardo. If I wanted the potential to have either driver, maybe being individually really good then I'd choose Bottas so, but so I don't know, know how because do you know what I mean Bottas seems I, uh, I don't know maybe maybe it's just because he's finished and he's got that same kind of 
laconic, emotionless kind of tone to his voice. Mm-hmm. Something I just, I just feel like he'd push the team harder for his spot. Whereas I think Ricardo might just be a little more amiable, a, a little more. Yeah, I can see that probably. Okay, then forget personality and forget Ferrari, forget Seb. Just who do you think's better out of Bottas and Ricardo? Um. That's a really difficult question because I don't think I know. I th- yeah. Uh, I think Bottas I, might be faster. Yeah, I, I was going to say similar. But I think Daniel is a better racer. I think I was going to completely agree with that. Complete because I think when I see some of Bottas's, you know, outright speed has looks mighty at times. He goes way- into some things that you just don't see other people yeah. do. But I've seen Daniel make. Um, the way Danny overtakes like, out year. of nowhere, and you go, what? What? <laughs> I agree with that. And also, last year when he was he was good, he was getting that Jensen Button kind of habit of picking up the pieces when stuff was going wrong around him, and you know, having having an eye on things and just being able to bring his car to the front at the right time and get himself in the right positions and a general race craft that that Bottas maybe doesn't have. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast. F1 for fans, by fans. Do you know what? If Ferrari were in Mercedes' place, I'd choose Bottas. So Ferrari are the dominant team. If Ferrari are that dominant, I have... And you've already got Seb signed up as there. I have two drivers, both of whom are completely capable of storming the field. I think if there's a challenge on where you need a set of drivers to maximise everything they can, I think I would choose Ricardo in that situation. It's a very interesting question. And also what's interesting is now we're talking about Bottas and we're talking about Danny Rick and nobody's talking about Nico Hulkenberg anymore, whereas 18 months ago you would have been. Yes. So Force India stagnating has, unfortunately for him, stagnated his career. Yeah, I, I, I think Nico is is destined to probably have another average season in Force India and quite probably either Force India will fold or will require somebody who brings in more money. Uh, and he'll go off and do WEC or, or something along those lines yeah. and be very, very good. He proved um, in Le Mans that, you know, his, his grass is, the grass is green outside of Formula 1. It's not the only it's not the only ship in town. No, no, absolutely not. And he'll make good money and he'll have a great life and I'm sure he'll be very happy. But it looks like his days of maybe going into the Ferrari seat are no longer there. But you never know. Ferrari might one, you know, just nobody seen Sebastian ending up there this year, did they? So this is entirely true. You know, what might happen. Ferrari, if any team are going to be unpredictable, it's probably Ferrari. Uh, Fernando Alonso rounded out our point scorers in tenth place, hey, uh, picking up his first point don't know this season. How he got that car to the to points, <laughs> given given his first, not just because it's the McLaren in twenty fifteen, but because he binned it on the first lap. He was well, lucky lucky to still have. Still be in the race, you and, know? and what's With some shunt. What does that tell you about Marcus Ericsson in the Sauber? That's true because you know, obviously, he's finished ahead of the two manners, which is understandable. But yeah, Ericsson's the only other driver to finish behind Fernando. Hmm, <laughs> I think that that tells you everything that you really need to know about the you know, where Ericsson is within his um, yeah, Fred had raced and finished the race. He might have given Alonso a bit more of a challenge, I think. I, I think that's probably true. Um, 
But, you know, that's what another point on the board for the, the mighty Maccas. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, the, thing, the thing is, is that I'm just very relieved that both drivers scored points this season. Because I think if either of them hadn't, it would have been so galling for both <laughs> that of would, them. That would have been the first season that Alonso's had since his Minardi days in 2001 where he didn't score a point. So, yeah, he's only had one season where he didn't score a point and it was in the Minardi. So thank God, it's only taking him to bloody Silverstone, but thank God he's on the board. Fernando Alonso, only arguably the best pound-for-pound pound driver on the grid, double world champion, driven for Ferrari, driven for McLaren, driven for the legendary Benetton team when they were in their prime, and it's one point after how many races? <laughs> Nine, uh, sadly. But, uh, I mean, the, the McLaren sounded like a bag of spanners this weekend. It's 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 never it's not sounded great all season, but it sounded really really awful this season. Uh, this season, sorry. Uh, well, yeah, this season, but this week, <laughs> but yeah. specifically this week, I was listening to it on the track. I was just like, that sounds like a sick car, or it sounded. It reminded me of the off-pedal blown gas uh, Red Bull, where it made that horrible sound as it was going down through the gears as the. Um, as the, the gas is expelled in all sorts of interesting and weird ways and sounded horrible. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, it's definitely not doing that because that's all outlawed. So it just, just sounds It's horrible. just a horrible car, isn't it? Um, and like we said, Ericsson was the only one outside of the Mauritius to finish behind him. So fair play to Alonso for getting 10th, but all he really needed to do was finish the race, <laughs> which, um, to be honest, that's an achievement in itself for that McLaren. So well, well done. Yeah, absolutely. Well done to all concerned. Um, Mary finished ahead of Stevens, although I believe Stevens, Stevens had, had a, a bit of bother. Didn't he had he? an off, didn't he, at some point, and lost his uh, front front wing. So uh, that that'll be down to that. Um, I'm rather liking Will Stevens. He had a couple like of interviews like around, and yeah, he seems like a bit of a cheeky Essex chappy, and I kind of I kind of rather like him actually. He's a got bit. a bit of personality, and it was like when he had on the radio in Canada where he was moaning. He was like, "What do, what does he want me to do? Like you know, evaporate or something?" <laughs> yeah, yeah like, and it was like, yeah, you know, he's got a bit of spark about him, and I don't know how. It's impossible to tell if he's quick or not <laughs> because he's driving the bloody manner. Yeah. But you know, it'd, it'd be nice to see him at least in a. Force India or a Cyber or something to see if to see if he can actually you know put it in the points if he's given a car capable of doing so. Uh, Carlos Sainz has the distinction of being the first person to bring out the virtual safety car proper. Yes, yeah, it was... worked well, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, I don't think I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit uh, weird to have a safety car period that doesn't require all the cars uh, to catch up yeah. again, does it? But that's what I like about safety cars. But I think that's the problem, isn't it? In in reality. It's, it's, unfair, as, it's yeah. as artificial as the DRS, isn't it? Otherwise, what you might as well say every race is that we will stopped. randomly, fla- you know, we will yeah. pick a random lap, and on that lap, everybody will be forced to bunch up one behind each other. It's like it's always been a part of. It's kind of always been there, so it's okay, almost. Well, what I like about it is is that it doesn't um, completely penalise everybody either way, in that it doesn't kill the gaps but you can still get away with a, a free pit stop so there's mm-hmm. still an element that you can duck into the pits and make time um either way um but the leaders don't automatically lose a pit stop necessarily and all of their track position i thought it was a good idea when it came in but seeing it under practice i think i would have just liked a safety car <laughs> maybe that's just because i like 
I mean, it is, you know, safety car restarts are fun. No, well, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a total hypocrite. If it was my guy in front, I wouldn't want the safety car. If it's my guy 10 seconds behind, I want the safety car. Simple yeah. as that. So, <laughs> and at the time, I think I was wanting a safety car because it would have meant whatever. It would have meant Nico closing or something. But yeah, um, it is what it is. In, in terms of its actual pragmatism, like, you know, it, it worked. It worked well. Uh, for that type of incident where. It's just Carlos Sainz parking it in a bloody stupid position. <laughs> <laughs> that in there it works well, you know, for a pile up like uh, like uh, well, riding in one. Austria, or even <laughs> even even the silly nonsense that happened with Button. And that was just it was just embarrassing. That was yeah. that incident. But yeah, it, for cars that are in the gravel and beached and broken parts and wheels off, then yeah, bring the safety car out. But if someone has a tech failure like that and just parks it in a stupid position, then then maybe the virtual is a good call. <laughs> Uh, Max Verstappen um, continues his uh, reputation, as far as I'm concerned, of showing that he's got a hell of a lot to learn, and he isn't Michael Schumacher. The I third. can't remember his incident. What, I know he crashed, but what happened again? He spun it into the he spun it into the gravel on the restart. Oh yeah, yeah. Just got it beached there. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Did he hit the wall or did he miss no, the wall? No, I think he missed the wall. He got beached and couldn't get back out. Yeah. Yeah, he, he ended. The weirdest thing was is that it, to me. He was sliding off at a weird angle that only meant that if when he got into the gravel, he was going to be facing directly towards the wall and not be able to do anything. I wasn't, I didn't quite understand why he didn't kind of do anything to a. Uh, at, the, at that point, I think I'd have rather have taken my foot off the brake and at least tried to slide it sideways somewhat and hope that I could have gotten enough momentum to get going but it seemed like he, all he wanted to do was stay, put his foot on the brakes and then see where the car was going and then then he'd do something about it but you, if you watch all of the old veteran drivers when that happens to them, do you know what I mean they, they get themselves into, they try and do something that means that they can carry on the momentum in the gravel and keep going Fernando Alonso went through that same gravel track he went around the whole thing <laughs> like kicking up dust and stuff behind him during one of the practice sessions but he kept it going, do you know what I mean slogging it through um through 50 foot of gravel but he got to the you know he got it through so you know just he'll learn i guess but you know he's 12 he's gonna make sure he's he's gonna make mistakes and that was another but but he's got the he's got the hype about him now you know the rocket's being strapped to him so to speak by you know brundle's talking him up all the guy all the important people like him all the important people uh, are impressed yeah. by him and, and are talking are saying the right things, so he's going to get the chance to learn. He's going to get the chance to improve. Whereas Sebastian Buemi, who didn't come from a, didn't have a Formula One driver dad and hadn't been around the sport from a young age and didn't have the right people saying the right things yeah. about him, was unceremoniously dumped. Whereas Max is going to get the time to to learn, which is, I mean, it's what I want. I want the young guys who come into the sport to be given the time, otherwise there's no point in bringing them in. But, yeah, it'd be nice if they all got it, <laughs> not just someone with a, a former driver dad and stuff. So, yeah, the British Grand Prix was fun. Um, it certainly was uh, interesting for a lot larger percent of the race than um, any of the other ones have been this season. Probably It's probably had more interesting laps than all of the rest of the Grand Prix yeah, put together. Yeah, it's been the best Grand Prix of the season, but I'm not going overboard. It's It was good. It wasn't great. 7 out of 10. I mean, what you've got to say is, you know, what happened? We had a completely unusual start. We had unusual weather. Um, 
and that makes things up. And it was interesting for me that when the rain came, they nobody binned it. Really, you know. But I remember, first, I first... remember a year, a few years ago in Europe, in in Nurburgring, about ten people put it in the same spot. But we didn't really get that. I don't know whether the weather just wasn't. It wasn't raining hard enough. It wasn't raining hard probably enough. Hard enough. It was. Yeah, it... we didn't get anybody binning it. We they were able to drive even on the slicks for a bit and manage it okay. It must have just been that the rain wasn't hard enough. You've but... got to have you. You have a point where the track is damp, rather than wet, and what you have is that horrible bit in between inters and and dry, where it's too dry for the inters because it's not picking up or moving any water to keep the tr- uh, the treads cool. Um, but the dampness is enough to break the good traction of the slick tyres and make them cold, and or make them cold. Um, so you're, you're stuck in a thing where you might possibly be half a second quicker on the intermediates, but you'd have burnt them out within three laps, so it'd be completely pointless. Or you struggle a bit on the slicks in the hope that either the track dries up or the weather makes it, you know, makes the decision for you. But at least then you've come in with fresh inters whilst everybody else is pitted before you has has gone back to slicks because they've, <laughs> they've ruined the tyres. It's just a case that it's a classic cliche of being on the right tyre at the right time. You know? Yep. And so, you know, nothing wrong with cliches. Um, you know, Cliches are cliches for a reason, yeah. Absolutely, you know, a game of two halves doesn't make you know doesn't make it less true just because it's a a cliche. And uh, this this Grand Prix was kind of a game of two halves, really. There was the dry race, which was interesting, and then there was the wet race that was interesting. So uh, that that's my view on it. And I <laughs> I think the problem is is that if we hadn't have had either of those you know races, we'd have had the same race that we've had for the last eight eight outings. Just on the website here, and there's two stories side by side. Bottas, quote, I could have pulled a gap on Massa. And then right, literally right beside it, Massa, quote, I was faster than Valtteri. <laughs> so, you know, good luck with that one, uh, Claire. Well, you know, again, this is the other reason for taking the, um, you know, taking the decisions, allowing the racing and, and pitting at the right time. Then you don't have people saying, well, I could have done this, I could have done that. Nobody second guesses your decisions. And now mm-hmm. they will. Um, so that was the British Grand Prix. So let's take a look at what's going on in the Formula One news. The final lap podcast news. Uh, and something that I very much <laughs> enjoyed, you know, a rare moment for a sort of uh, Austrian German to have a. A good sense of humour. Toto Wolf after the race um, was asked about the um, uh, the pit lane shenanigans um, and his response. Uh, it was just, um, his response was, "I, I got a text um, asking what what we were doing. Somebody asked who it was from, and then he said it was from my wife. Um, I'm, <laughs> eating, I'm eating an Indian alone tonight, <laughs> which I thought was excellent." Um, and quite good fun. It's mental that Susie's at Williams and he's at, at Mercedes. That's mental. Like they must. They don't want to get too conspiracy theory, but you know, after Total used to have shares in Williams. I don't know if he still does. 
Williams making that I a little bit he, easy. I think he was sh he was selling them, or that certainly was the plan. Just uh, yeah, I would prefer it if he didn't. <laughs> prefer it if there was no. It's like a. It's almost like the United States and uh, and and the Great Britain, you know, <laughs> working relationship. You know, you never know what's quite going on. Um, I, I guess something I didn't cover in the last podcast that kind of came out just after it was that the. the Announcement from the strategy group that they were um, going to implement some changes um, to the re sporting regulations, taking away um, a lot of the driver aids uh, from Spa onwards, which I thought was quite... Um, it's quick, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, louder cars next season. Um, well, I'm so not asked about louder cars. Yeah. It's just not. It's not important the show for me at all but, i know we've covered it in the past but i think the like, thing there's is, so many more important things that they need to be doing right now and it's frustrating me i i think the thing is is that it's it's an easy win in if, if you follow what i'm saying it's what could you do easily that people are complaining about well noise well you can make cars louder without very much investment can you really in it i can't wait for them to make them all louder and then the racing's still rubbish and then people will be like we realize that that wasn't in priority <laughs> Well, absolutely. Um, anyway. Refueling still not coming back. Um, yeah, we knew that three it's weeks just, ago. It's making me grumpy that, like, it's, it, it's like David Croft. I like David Croft nine times out of ten, but he's so against it coming back, and I just want to throttle him and be like, you're just wrong, Crofty. And it's annoying when you someone like that whose opinion you generally would say are on the ball, they're just they're wrong about this one, and it's annoying me. <laughs> I'm right, they're wrong. How long have you been working in Formula 1, Martin Brundle? 30 years? No, you're wrong, I'm right. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find what other things, because there were some other interesting businesses. Um, I think there was some talk about... Um, oh, they're definitely going to change the engine penalty system. Yeah, uh, like the the thing that happened to McLaren in Austria was just ridiculous. So that was, was going to get changed. We couldn't have another situation like that. It was just ludicrous. Um, Honda are getting another engine for this season. They've decided that any new manufacturers coming in uh, get an extra engine, which is fair, good, I guess. Um, no, no, um, yeah, no, no, no arguments with that. <laughs> this is a good article on Planet F One, just titled "Another Day, Another Renault Issue." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, talking about Ricardo's retirement. Not much else, I've noticed anyway. Like Lotus getting wound up, apparently, according to one of the articles. Yeah. Lotus play down winding up order. Oh, uh, sorry, just going back to this rule changes and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they want freedom, uh, increased freedom of tyre choice, which I think is a bit weird. Um, they want uh, wider cars and wheels, uh, new wings and floor shapes, which means a, a reduction in front aero. And more of a return to ground effect. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's well, it, actually. Although that sounds great, but I'm just not convinced it's going to fix the issues. That... Well, I, I think I think the aero one might have some effect. Getting the cars to be able to follow more closely will um, make a big difference, I think, to the racing. And it's something that's needed to happen for a while, but nobody's yep, really. I agree. I hope so, and I hope I hope you're right. Um, I, ho I would love to be able to sit 
and discuss a race and go, do you know what? This race was great and refueling wouldn't have made it any better kind of thing. But every race I watch at the moment, I think if we had some refueling in this, it might have spiced things up a bit. Even maybe maybe not maybe not this weekend. Maybe not. But but nine nine you know, one exception doesn't make the rule. Ninety five percent of the time I think if teams had different fueling strategies, this would be a better show. So I'd love to, I hope I get to a situation where all those regulations come into effect and I'm able to say that was really good that the refueling didn't matter. But until we get to that situation, I'm still gonna complain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, Lotus um, apparently have a winding up order, but they say that that's totally under control, which I hope so because uh... <laughs> that's suspiciously like shoving it under the carpet. Yeah, it's fine, man. Just just shut that cupboard door and uh, it'll tidy that. That's layers. Don't worry. Don't you worry these... about that. You just come and sit down. <laughs> <laughs> ignore all these envelopes with final demand written on them. There's nothing at all. Um, I hope so. Oh, we've had some um, nice interaction with the Lotus um, F1 team on Twitter this, this C- week. So CEO nice. Matthew Carter insists everything is under control. All that does is give me an image of someone just, you know, like with their foot sticking stuff under the carpet. You know, everything's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I seen that on Twitter. It was cool. The Lotus guys are great. A lot of time for the Lotus boys. Um, Aston Martin were linked with um, Red Bull in a random sort of way, as far as I'm aware, Mercedes own Aston Martin is. So that I think um, every engine supplier <laughs> this side of the Atlantic are going to be linked with Red Bull until they get rid of Renault. Uh, <laughs> what was it? Not Audi two weeks ago. Well, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, uh, and Mercedes were linked with supply- supplying Red Bull. Um, but Nicky Lauda... Um, Ferrari too. Don't forget Ferrari. I'm sure oh, they were yeah, linked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Nicky Lauda said... Um, that uh, Mattershits has an issue with Mercedes, and that's why they won't go. Uh, well, per, a, there a is personal some, issue. yes, some personal beef with Mattershits and Mercedes somewhere along the line. So that's that's unlikely to happen. Although a uh, source inside Mercedes, as yet unnamed, said that uh, Rebel called them up weekly asking for engines. So I don't think um, I don't think Mercedes own Aston Martin. Just double checked. Uh, they have some sort of working relationship. Is it? But they're owned by, uh, yeah, they they they're working with Daimler for for like power engines and stuff. But the um, which Daimler obviously have Mercedes for anybody who didn't know that. Um, the vast majority that owns Aston Martin is owned by that stupid private equity consortium firm guys. You know these silly con- these silly businesses that exist for being businesses and you know we just what do you do we just own stuff well how did you own it we just do you know <laughs> that's what we do <laughs> but yeah they had ford had it and then uh these these Actually, that's one that they haven't that's the one engine manufacturer i haven't heard anybody talk about oh before. red bull cosworth bring it on <laughs> that's what we want to see but yeah um so Aston Martin have a, a working relationship with Mercedes, but they don't own Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes don't own Aston Martin. So oh, I, I thought I thought Daimler, Daimler but, but might have owned them. So. They have a they have a tiny percentage, literally five percent, so, and everything else is owned by the investment company. But they do the engines, or they're doing. They've got a, they've got a link up for for power units. So if Aston Martin provide power units to Red Bull, say that's. Well, Mercedes are providing Aston Martin with their power units, so it's coming I, I, some way along the line. It's coming from Mercedes. 
I expect Red Bull to finish the season with Renault. Are they contracted to Renault next year? Uh, yeah. There probably is one, but it, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see if if this whole Renault want their works team back. Yeah, happens. well, that's true. It's, this could be yeah a lot of different variables there, right enough. But I wouldn't at this stage. I would be more surprised to see Renault and Red Bull split. I don't expect it. To, I don't expect them to split too soon. If I don't think we're going to get. We're not going to suddenly get Red Bull coming out in two or three months' time and going for twenty sixteen. We are now using this engine company complete. I, I, I don't see that coming yet. As as crap as it's been for everybody concerned there, I don't see it coming just yet. I think the. I, I think that they are so successful with each other that they they'll give it time to try and work it out. Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm being the, the optimist. But I think they'll. I think they'll give it time. Uh, I think that's everything I've noted in the Formula One ah. news. Is there anything? Just, just to go back to Aston Martin, I've just ah. noticed something. Uh, the guy who led the um, consortium for the private equity firm who's involved at Aston Martin is actually David Richards, who used to have a team principal of BAR and a bit of Benetton and was into ProDrive. Remember ProDrive? Oh, I do remember so he, I remember him when he was the team guy at, at BAR. He was the, the principal for a while there before BAR became uh, Honda and Honda became Broad and Broad became Merck. So there's a line there where it's all kind of interrelated, I guess. But yeah, he was, uh, he was involved at BAR for a long time. So that's who's he. He apparently led the, conser- the consortium that bought Aston Martin. So fair enough. So he's got previous in F1. Oh, interesting. And he's involved at Aston Martin, so that's where the links might be coming. Well, we all said that with the uh, other guy leading, leaving from um, Audi, that suddenly meant that there would definitely be uh, <laughs> a return to Audi from F1. So there, there you go. I guess you just have to um, take it as it comes. Absolutely, somewhat. yeah. Apparently, just interested in reading here now, just, just you know, going off on tangents, it was actually... Dave Richards that signed JB to be a oh. slash Honda. So, and obviously, Button stayed there for years and became champion in the uh, what eventually became the Braun. So, that's uh, that's the guy who signed JB to that team. Little, little bit of random facts, uh, useless information for the day. Yeah, excellent. Oh, that is interesting. That is interesting. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast. So he's at Aston Martin now, yeah. I would love to see an Aston Martin or a Jaguar or one of these classic car companies. I've wanted to see something like a Maserati. Yeah, definitely. um, What's it, Alfa Romeo? I'd love to see... Oh, Alfa, yeah, definitely. See Alfa or Maserati back on the the grid as a... And and the Alfa could, because if if Ferrari ever wanted a B team, that's exactly what they should do, really. Yeah. Just get the Maserati as a a badge back. As a... um, Alfa back as a badge. I don't think they own Maserati, do they? That's. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, oh, no. I can't be bothered to look up now. Somebody else tell but me. Fiat, Fiat have got Alpha, which is. Uh... Oh right, so, so well, which is got... the same as Ferrari. You're right, yeah, yeah. Fiat got a Ferrari and uh, and uh, and Alpha. So yeah, you're right with that. If if Alpha, um, came in, then yeah, you're right. It would be a Ferrari B team. I'm not 100 percent sure about Maserati. 
I'd like to see a Matra or a BRM come back. It's <laughs> one of those random names from the 60s that hasn't existed for, for 40, 50 years. Just pop back up as a as a thing, but, but backed by somebody else. It'd be brilliant to see like a, a I don't know, like a Peugeot Matra or something like that. Yeah, a, quick, quick Google tells me that um, yeah, for, for Fiat and Ferrari have Maserati as well. So yeah, okay. they could do either. If they wanted a B team, they could bring in Alpha or Maserati. Yeah. Fair enough, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Bring it on. I'd love to see these classic cars. When I went to Silverstone years ago, they had a race and they had uh, it was a road car race, just as one of the support races, and there was a bunch of Maseratis there, and it was awesome. Uh, these old, good old marks from the past. It'd be, it'd be nice to see. It would be, it'd be lovely to see that, wouldn't it? To be, to hear, you know. Maserati still made two point seven billion in turnover <sighs> last year. Who's how? Who's buying Maseratis for two point seven billion? <laughs> to be to be honest, with you, probably people in the Middle East who uh, uh, yeah. are quite happy to buy ex- exceedingly expensive. They probably only sold cars. about five cars, and that's two point seven billion. That'll be five hundred million pounds. There's, no, yeah. there's a Maserati garage not too far away from where I live, and uh, the cars look very nice in there. But it, uh, ironically, it was a it was a Maserati and Ferrari garage, and I think the Ferrari bit's gone. It's just Maserati now. So that t- tells you who's selling what, I guess. There you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've been owned by Fiat for a good 20 years now, so that's Ferrari, obviously. I had a, I had a feeling that Fiat might have, would probably have owned any Italian mark that, you know, they could possibly It's get brilliant that Fiat have Ferrari and Alfa Romeo and Maserati, but their standard Fiat road cars are pretty garbage. <laughs> well, it's the Fiat, uh, and the only one that you can probably think of at the top of it is the Fiat 500. Yeah, they used to have the Punto, just like... <laughs> yes the fiat punto hey. but they actually secretly own all of these brilliant you know <laughs> luxury car brands well whatever makes them money i guess yeah, absolutely so anything else going on before we, we head is it hungary hungary in two weeks time, hungary then? next yeah i'm looking forward to it it um uh it, it gives us the ability that if what williams have got is any good it should still be fairly applicable in hungary um yeah a difficult track to pass track position is once again going to be absolutely king so hypothetically if Williams get off the line like they did this week and get past the Mercs into turn one track position being key there could be an interesting race It'll all, we'll all be sitting there if they do get off the line quick thinking right now what happens Williams you got canned for it last week are you going to yeah try are you going to learn again this week and see what happens and if they don't push it again and they settle for third and fourth again then the daggers will be out anyway (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely Hungary's typically been one of my least favourite Grand Prix I just don't really like the track but we'll see what what happens I've always thought it's been okay and it has it it can be fairly variable on on conditions as well which can sort Mm -hmm. of yeah a bit of rain might spice things up too it has a tendency to throw a spanner in the works quite often so yeah uh, there's been the odd classic race early you know Jensen's win in 06 which was a perler and then I think uh, I think there was a good one in the wet a couple of years ago maybe so yeah there's it's it's one of those ones that I always go oh Hungary it's not that interesting and then I come I seem to always come away from it going that was really good for Hungary but yet still, next time round, always say, oh, it's Hungary, even though if I actually sat back and analysed it, there's probably been more good races than bad. I think it's just because it's in between like Silverstone, Spa, Hockenheim, it, when they can it's, get their act together. So It is a little it, bit in between, you know. It feels like, you know, not as good as the ones around it, maybe. Maybe that's the problem, but... Yeah, a bit of a, um, bit of a ruby amongst uh, 
you know, diamonds and and pearls or something like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. That should be good, hopefully. Like I say, I think it depends on the worms. If the worms bring that car to Hungary, then we could be on for something. We can but hope. Uh, so I think that takes us nicely to the uh, end of the podcast uh, for this episode. Uh, before we head into all the gubbins where I tell you where you can digest us from, sounds a bit weird, but it's true. Um, we are up for our first award. Did you know this, Sean? Have you been following? Yes, events? I've seen the Facebook stuff. Have you voted? I don't know how. How do I vote? Tell, the, ah. tell everybody how you vote because you'll tell me at the same there time. How do we vote? That's exactly how it is. So uh, go to ukpodcasters.com forward slash directory. Search for the last lap podcast uh, and then or just the last lap will do. That will bring up our page and right at the top of the page there is a big nominate this podcast for a UK podcasters award. Uh, click that button. It will bring you up a thing. You can either put in your details like your email address uh, name and bits and pieces, or sign up with uh, Facebook um, or Google+. And what will happen is that you get sent an email so that you can confirm um, that you know, you're know you a real person really voting. Uh, it doesn't sign you up to a mailing list or any of those horrible bits and pieces, so you don't need to worry about that. Um, and then what will happen is that all the nominations will be put together. There are several different categories, so there's obviously uh, sports, which we'll be in, um, but also things like uh, overall best podcast, etc uh, etc et <clears throat> the nominations will be tatted up a judging panel will then um, award marks to the podcast based on things like audio quality uh, audience interaction all those other bits and pieces website and all the other bits and pieces that we uh, that go together to make a podcast and then ultimate winners will be decided um, there will be an award ceremony in Manchester Sean so oh really uh, if we <laughs> should you lovely listeners vote for us enough we might possibly have to have a uh, shower and a shave and um, uh, <laughs> head down to Manchester for an evening no. to... Uh... No promises. <laughs> <laughs> well, a shower, hopefully, at least. Maybe maybe, maybe a sheep dip for Sean, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so we would be massively appreciative if you could head down to ukpodcasters.com, search us out on the directory, um, and just nominate us. It will literally take you... Um, 30 seconds to a minute to do like I say you don't get stuffed on any horrible mailing list and they don't sell your information to any anybody at all so this really is you guys as, as listeners and hopefully fans of the podcast helping us you know uh, just you know extend our, our, ourselves a little further and you know show that yeah you know we're all right in the end <laughs> totally agree thank you that would be great yeah um, I'll, I will leave the details up on our Facebook page um, remember, you can always find that just by searching for the Last Lap Podcast. Um, I will put reminders up on Twitter. So if you aren't following us um, at Last Lap Podcast already, um, please do. Um, I will be putting up a post on our website within the next day or two with all of the links and uh, what to do and a step-by-step guide on how to vote um, at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk um, where you can also download all of the episodes, etc., etc., and keep up with what we're doing from there. Um, and... That's everything, isn't it? Yep. Wow. I think so. That's quite quick for me. I usually take five minutes to tell you about Nice and succinct. Is. You can follow us, follow our personal accounts if you want, on the old Twitter. Um, I'm at Firebolt Willow. Uh, and I'm at Man Called Megs. Um, and on that note, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back after the Hungarian Grand Prix. Thanks very much. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.